This is MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast discussing everything about J.K. Rowling's wizarding world. This week's episode is brought to you by Puffs. Some people are born to save the world from an evil wizard, and some people sit next to those people at magic school. Puffs, the off-Broadway play, is their story, which Mashable called, quite simply, hysterical. Now playing at the Electra Theater in New York. Tickets and more at puffstheplay.com. Save 10% on your ticket order by using code MUGGLEPUFFS. And by canvaspeople.com. Bring one of your favorite photos to life on a beautiful 11 by 14 canvas for free. Just pay shipping. Visit canvaspeople.com and use code MUGGLE at checkout. And by Blue Apron. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free, including free shipping, by going to blueapron.com slash MuggleCast. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 318. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And, I'm- and joining <laughs> us this week is Gina. I never Hi, remember Gina. if I say Welcome my back. name in the beginning or not. <laughs> it's okay. We didn't rehearse, yeah. and that's a new thing we're doing. You can blame it on me. I messed it up. I could have just said, and Micah, and then Andrew could have introduced uh, you, and it would have been a lot better, but it's my fault. I'm Micah. Uh, uh, and the fourth person is <laughs> Gina. Anyway, good to have you back, Gina. I love coming back. Anyway, today we are going to have a character discussion on Queenie. Yay. It's the first in a series of character discussions on Fantastic Beast characters. We'll be talking about her in a little bit. But first, a little bit of news talking about another Fantastic Beast character. Uh, the holiday actor Jude Law <laughs> has spoken out about playing young Dumbledore. <laughs> he was asked by BBC London recently uh, about being cast in the role. Which holiday is he? Uh... It's the holiday. The holiday. The holiday. Okay. The ho- you yes. know that great movie? I've heard the it's holiday. amazing. I really I've, I love I've heard great things about holiday. it, that it's probably one of the best movies ever made. Is it's that, actually yeah, really good. Everyone should watch okay. it. And you haven't watched it yet, so get on it, Micah. Right. Is it about... I what holiday wanna... is it about, though? Is it... Christmas. It's cr- Christmas. Well, Micah, yeah. I... Oh, come on, that's a spoiler. Uh, There's no... I just uh, can't believe that this is the movie where... Hanukkah moment? His, like, claim to fame. It's really it's good It's seriously movie. so good. It is yeah, so good, is. but, like, he's done so much. <laughs> anyway, so... He was asked about this, about being cast as young Dumbledore. And he says, my first port of call, I hope, is to meet J.K. Rowling and to talk exactly about that, referring to Dumbledore and Grindelwald's relationship, and find out who he is and who she wants him to be and learn a little bit more about her vision of this great man as a young man. I love it. Yeah. So so I should have prefaced this by saying he was specifically asked about the Dumbledore-Grindelwald romance. It seems he's aware of it. Yeah, right. I yeah. I get the notion from his the the just his wording of it that he has read and is a fan of these books. Mm. Well, that would be nice. Yeah, and uh, maybe maybe while he was being cast, they said, "Hey, uh, Dumbledore's a good character. He's gonna have feelings for Grindelwald." And maybe they didn't go any further into it. Than Wait, what's that. that? A Dumbledore actor who's read the Harry Potter books? Exactly. What? <laughs> I'm like, not all um, Dumbledores are created equal. <laughs> um, that would be very exciting. Yeah, I would be. I would be super excited. You know, it sounds like it. I think. I think that's the interesting part of his remark, though. Now, where he says, "I'm going to talk to J.K. Rowling, see what kind of 
young man she imagines him to be. I think I think his question is, as as all of our questions is, how relevant will it be to the plot? How relevant will Dumbledore being a gay character be to the plot of the movie? I'm guessing very little, but um, I mean, ultimately, as long as he's aware of it, as long as it's like given that weight in the script, then it should be fine. You know, I just like the fact that his first order of business seems to be that he's going to go talk with the author of the series and the person who created the character that you don't always hear that. She's also the screenwriter. So there's that, but I mean, you know, cause like that's ultimately, I don't know what kind of open like set sort of thing. uh, Most movies have, but because she's writing it, I think that that probably helps. I get the sense she wasn't on physically on the set that often with fantastic beast. And maybe that was just what they tried to show in the extended features. But, like, they made it seem like when she came to visit the set the first time, like, it was a big deal. So, I mean, the bonus features that I saw have her on set almost constantly with Heyman and Yates breaking down each and every scene, each and every set. um, She was in the same outfit for pretty much all those extended features. Hey, maybe it's a cool outfit. What's wrong no, with that? I, I'm with Gina. I don't, I don't. I'm not sure she was on the set so much. But but yeah. point is, like Jude Law, he does seem to care, so that's good. Just yeah. like he, you know, he really, you could tell, he could really care about his role in the holiday as well. So I think uh, he's carrying those skills over to Fantastic Beasts. I did see though that he's going to be uh, in uh, King Arthur, right? Which is going to be released later on this uh, year. Oh wow. No, I think sooner than that, right? I keep seeing the billboards, but um, yeah, James points that out as well. King Arthur movie release date. Googling it. Do it. May 12th. Oh, so very soon. that's like two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. Who's he playing in King Arthur? King Dumbledore. Vortigem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's might, he might as well play Merlin at this point if, if that's the uh, mm. <laughs> direction he's going. Yeah. He uh, playing King Vortigern. I I'm not aware of this King Arthur story. Sure. So I'm sorry for pronouncing the name wrong. But mm-hmm. um, this is also a Warner Brothers film, which may be one reason why he was considered for Fantastic Beasts. They yeah. kind of like to use the same actors these studios. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, actually, I don't think the advanced reviews of King Arthur have been very good. Oh. So it may not be worth seeing. Not as good as the holiday. The holidays. Well, it looks like he's got a show. He's got a West End show right now called Obsession. Um, hmm. and, and what holiday do they the... celebrate in that? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I'd have to look it up. But um, it's at the Barbican the- Center in London. Um, so very interesting. And he'll finish that up. Apparently, Fantastic Beasts 2 is going to start filming this summer. So and pretty soon. Yeah. All right. Well, before we get to our discussion of Queenie today, we actually have some feedback on Theseus. That was our main discussion last week. Mm. But first, we want to say for one more time that you should definitely go see Puffs. Right, Micah? That's right. Well, I don't think it has to be the last time, but uh, officially, right? We'll bring it up again. Yeah, I'm sure right. we will bring it up again. Uh I definitely uh, would encourage people who either live in the New York City area or are visiting Mm. in the next several months to check out uh, Puffs the Play uh, off-Broadway at the Electra Theater. 
they actually just hit 100 performances, and uh, any Potter fan uh, will enjoy this play. It's funny. You will uh, laugh out loud. You will have moments uh, that uh, you just, uh, I think, will enjoy because it does an amazing job of weaving in um, things from the books, things from the movies, and it chronicles the story of a Hufflepuff student who is at Hogwarts at the same time as Harry, Ron, and Hermione, and you get to see all the events take place from the perspective of the forgotten house that is Hufflepuff. So uh, I know, Andrew, you're planning on seeing it uh, a little bit later on this summer. I've seen a couple of people uh, on Twitter say that they've gone and seen at least one person I know that's gone and seen it, took a photo from there uh, because of of our recommendation. So hopefully they enjoyed it. Uh, But uh, yeah, go and have a a few good laughs for an hour and a half on... uh, the expense of Hufflepuff House. <laughs> we can bear awesome. the weight. We are resilient. Badger, badger, badger. So visit puffstheplay.com and you can use code MugglePuffs to save 10%. And thanks to them for their support of the show. What's this about Theseus? Yeah, so last week we spoke about Theseus and we got a couple of responses about our discussion. This is first from Victor. Hi, big fan from Sweden here. I realized something while listening to your latest episode. Theseus Commander is, as you pointed out, named after the Greek hero who killed the Minotaur. But he didn't slay the Minotaur alone. He was given a sword and, if I remember correctly, a ball of yarn from the princess Eridine. Ariadne. Ariadne. She did this even though it was an act of treason because Theseus was an enemy of her father, the king, since she had fallen madly in love with him. The feeling was not mutual, and Theseus abandoned her quickly after killing the Minotaur. Okay, but so what? Well, the Italian name for Ari... What is it, my uh, Eric? Ari... Oh, Ariadne. Ariadne. Is Ariana! (gasps) The Italian name for Ariadne is Ariana! So my prediction is that Ariana Dumbledore has some sort of connection with Theseus, and that she either loved him or he abandoned her. Possibly both. Anyway, great show. Keep up the good work. Wasn't Ariana a small uh, child? Yeah, she's prepubescent. <laughs> wow. Well, but still, I mean, there is some sort of uh, reference here, at least. Maybe it's not a romantic connection, but mm-hmm. no, I, I I love that 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 was taken out. That that's something that exists. Um, Ariadne, Ariana, no name, you know, as we know for for from J.K. Rowling's past. No name is an accident. You know, everything's very well um, thought out in advance. And I think that this shows that Theseus may have a larger role as it pertains to Dumbledore than we previously thought. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that was a, that was an email that came in. But I know we had a number of people over on uh, Patreon who commented on our last episode with thoughts on Theseus, including Mark who said, uh, what if the letter was cut because the story changed and it didn't fit the movie anymore? I'm hesitant to draw conclusions from this letter. I don't consider Lego games canon. <laughs> um, I texted... Rude. <laughs> Very rude. Sorry. I texted... I mean, it's also on the... Sorry. I texted Andrew about this earlier in the week when I was re-listening to the episode. Um, I believe that the letter is in the beginning when Newt's on the boat. He like pulls it out of his pocket. 
I just rewatched the movie at length. I don't remember him touching because he's he grabs his. He doesn't. His, it's how it's um, edited. Yeah, no, so, yeah, but so yeah, I watched it last night, and um, I was looking out for this, Gina, because you had just mentioned it to me. I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. I didn't see any letter, and I was specifically keeping an eye out for it. But the letter so. exists because it appears on J.K. Rowling's desk on her website, right? Or where was it? We saw this. This was Besides the prop. The, the, this was the studio. Oh, door. the prop that the snitch, snitch, snitch seeker. Yeah, yeah. So this letter was written. It does exist. I don't think that's debatable. It is debatable whether or not. It was going to ever be in the film, but the fact that this letter is written in such a way, I think, gives us license to discuss it as if it's completely mm-hmm. canon. Uh, yeah, I I agree. Um, and I think they shot it for the movie. They're planning on it being in the movie, and Lego had this script, this copy of the script that included the scene, <clears throat> so they kept it in the video game. And then I think they decided to not keep it in the movie because, like, right off the bat, they're introducing this new character who nobody knows. I actually think that this whole newspaper montage at the beginning with warnings of Grindelwald, mm-hmm. that was the new version of the letter. Yeah. That was in the, the version I saw. What? The, the, the newspaper? Mm-hmm. I, okay. I, I, I see well, what you're saying. I, I actually uh, tend to agree with that. I, I go back to what was mentioned on the last episode that to have the opening montage with Grindelwald and all the newspaper clippings, and then to go to Newt on a boat with a letter from his brother also talking about Grindelwald, I feel like it would have overplayed that Mm -hmm. hand and and made him way more a part of the story earlier on than probably Heyman or Yates wanted him to be. Sort of would have ruined the surprise. Um, But we also did, uh, along the lines of the email we got from Victor, we did hear from Sarah uh, Johansson on Patreon, and she has two theories on Theseus Commander um, and uh, is also a big mythology nerd. Uh, in the myth of mm-hmm. Theseus and the Minotaur, after Theseus kills the Minotaur, he returns to Athens but forgets to change the sails on the boat from black to white. His father, Aegeus, sees the black sails and thinks his son has failed and been killed, so he jumps into what is now the Aegean Sea and kills himself. Mm-hmm. Could Newt hear news that Theseus has been killed, prompting him to take action in the war, but then later find out that he survived? Uh, Maybe. Uh, And then the second theory, later in Theseus' life in mythology, he attempts to kidnap Persephone from the underworld and ends up getting trapped there until Hercules saves him during his twelfth labor. Could this mean that Newt's part in the war will be having to rescue his brother from the, quote, underworld? That's quite interesting, this idea of Theseus as a hostage or um, sort of a uh, the quest to save him being part of a plot of a future film. I'm interested. Um, I also think, like, Theseus is the guy that the Ministry of Magic in all of Europe uh, assigned to defeat Grindelwald, so he must be pretty competent. Mm-hmm. Right, but I'm sure he's flawed um, in some way, as most... Yeah, well, I mean, and, and Graves... Yeah, clearly because of Graves um, being undercover, Grindelwald and et cetera, um, he very easily could have gotten the jump on Theseus by – because I think it said somewhere – and we mentioned this last week. Colin Farrell said that they corresponded or something like that. And yes. so if Graves undercover Grindelwald is corresponding with Theseus, then he has his finger on exactly where Theseus is going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
we have one more email here. This is from Felicia. Hey, guys. I was listening to episode 317, and with the discussion of legitimacy, Eric says that he believes that when your mind is being read, you have flashbacks of what is being accessed. He says that because of Snape's lessons. Because, But I think that the only reason Harry is reliving the past the way that he does with his lessons is because it's a teaching moment. Snape wants Harry to see what he is doing so he can better know how to combat it. So he sets it up for Harry to be acutely aware of what is going on rather than trying to get in stealthily. Those are just my thoughts about it. Feel free to discuss and rip my theory to shreds. No theories are safe. What do you guys think on that? Uh, I, yeah, I, I agree with her. That oh. makes sense. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, Snape, Snape is teaching him. She's right. So yeah, but why would he make that extra accommodate what there's so there's a third level of legitimacy that doesn't make you relive my my whole thing is when Harry hits Snape back, he sees the same thing and Snape is forced to relive crying in a corner while his dad shouts. I don't know. I'd be interested in rereading that scene in uh, the chapter occlumency in book five. Yeah, but uh, I'm pretty sure that it's not stealthy. If it's actual actually the spell legitimacy and actually this. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Interesting, though. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Felicia, for that. Uh, before we get to our discussion on Queenie, we want to thank our advertisers this week. First of all, Canvas people, they have a very easy-to-use photo-to-canvas service that takes your favorite photo memories and turns them into beautiful artwork for you to enjoy every day. Instead of snapping that beautiful photo and letting it rot in your cell phone, you can bring that photo to life to put it on your walls at home, in your office, or as a great gift. Uh, Here's a tailor-made Harry Potter idea. In honor of the 20th anniversary of the first Harry Potter book coming out, how about finding the earliest photo of you reading a Potter book or interacting with the fandom? Treat yourself for your 20th anniversary, for the 20th anniversary. Uh, Normally, 11 by 14 canvases are priced at $69.99, but for a limited time, you can get one free 11 by 14 canvas. Just pay shipping by going to canvaspeople.com and using promo code MUGGLE. Our other sponsor this week is Blue Apron. They are the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. I've actually been getting ready to move. I think this is my final MuggleCast episode here in Los Angeles. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And being so busy, it's actually been great to have meals delivered to me. So at dinner, is just like one less thing I have to worry about. So if you're busy like I am right now, thankfully, they're easy to cook. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients. They can all be prepared in 40 minutes or less. You can also customize your recipes each week based on your preferences. I mean, someone like me, like, I'm a picky eater, but I can always find something on Blue Apron that I actually like because I'm four years old. Uh, <laughs> so you can find the type of food that you're looking for week to week. Check out this week's menu. Get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mugglecast. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash mugglecast. Blue Apron is a better way to cook. And no, Micah, I still do not have a Slytherin green apron. Oh, I but, didn't tell you, Andrew. Yeah, somebody, I know you some, did. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> go ahead. Go yeah, ahead, go well, ahead. I have one for you. <laughs> somebody... <laughs> Yeah, we got one at the in the MuggleCast PO box. Uh, yes. A green apron for you. Katie um, sent that, right? Yeah, Katie, I believe. So when, <laughs> so when you get settled in your new place, I will mail it to you. Great. Um, and you can have like a kiss the cook photo, inaugural uh, kitchen 
use green Slytherin green apron. That you do have wonderful. one. That sounds yeah. wonderful. I'm going to wear nothing but my green apron and send oh, it to Micah with a wink emoji. <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. We'll have to get you some green oven mitts, too. Yes, Ooh. yes. All of the above. <laughs> all right. So, Eric, let's talk about Queenie. Yes, let's. So this is the inaugural uh, character discussion of what will be a series of these, as we mentioned before. Um, basically I went through fantastic beasts, uh, and created these sort of general outline discussions for each of the characters in the film. So we have the main four and we'll be getting into graves as well. Perhaps president Pickery. I did this for, for a couple of them and it's sort of, at first it'll seem sort of like a book report. I'm like, Oh, what is, what is this character's challenge in this film? But it's just really a rubric to discuss, you know, these characters as people, uh, themselves, it, it's difficult not having actual like an actual book to talk about these with because you'd potentially get more insight into their head. But just based on the scenes that they're in, the decisions that they make, um, I think we'll be able to have some rich discussion about each of these characters. That was my thesis. Let's do it then. Okay. All right. Good, good all right. Thesis. Good thesis. You know what's in, you know what <laughs> good thesis. You know what's interesting about Queenie is how late in the film she's introduced. Um, you actually get quite a lot of the film before her. She's the last of the of the quartet to be introduced. Yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't look up the timestamp exactly, Save but she's basically. Last. I mean, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, but we're doing her first. We're putting her in a rightful place here. Yeah, because well, I, I and, think Queenie's awesome, and I actually do kind of find it interesting that that Tina, Newt, and Jacob all meet with well, all run into each other initially within a span of like five seconds yeah that is true yeah 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 um so i had trouble finding out i mean again the other characters also have like a more clearly defined challenge queenie's queenie's the one whose unique gifts allow her to assist you know with what they've got going on but ultimately and, and this is not in a bad way but she is sort of like the love interest character for the jacob character and does not necessarily have her own individual challenge. Her challenge in this film is tied is tied to the others. She's extremely competent. She excels at doing what she needs to do to save the day multiple times. But I, I had trouble coming up with sort of what, what her individual sort of character arc is in this film. But her, her purpose isn't just to be uh, Jacob's love interest. Yeah, no, it's true. But so her, how would you describe her character arc in this movie? Um, I mean, she, I, this, like, I have points to make as we go. So that's why I'm like, mm, I don't know where to start. Um, but I think just her main thing is to make sure Tina stays safe, but to also mm. kind of push Tina to do more. Because Tina is always a little apprehensive about things. Yeah. I don't know. There, yeah, okay. There's more to say as we go. I think it, her fir her very first line is, you brought boys home? Like, <laughs> she, and from there, you kind of get the impression that she's looking out for Tina. Yeah. It was like, very interesting to kind of go through some of the responses that we got from listeners both on Twitter and on Patreon, because 
I think there was some preconceived notions about Queenie, both before the movie was released and based on your first introduction to her, uh, that she was kind of just the uh, sex appeal of the movie. And Mm -hmm. that was all that you were going to get out of her. But as the movie goes on, you learn that she's an incredibly powerful individual and that you what she does at different points are actually integral to yes the safety of both actually of all three characters i mean she does she doesn't have a a major role that she plays at the very end it's more newt and tina but you know if she doesn't rescue them from makusa the way that she does because of the abilities that she has then Mm -hmm. You know, the movie they never progresses, out. right? They're both gone. So yeah. uh, I think a lot of people who saw this film went into it with one opinion of her and came out with a completely different. I think one person said, uh, you know, on, on Twitter, and I'm blinking who it was, but, oh, Queenie was just, uh, you know, the, the, the person that was going to get, uh, you know, my boyfriend to be able to go see the movie, you know, and. <laughs> wow. That's offensive. That's really uh, offensive, yeah, but, actually. I mean, but the point uh-huh. is, you know, even, but you you pointed out the fact her first line, um, and even what she's wearing or what she's not wearing when yeah uh, Newton Jacob yeah. come into the apartment. Um, there, there's an initial impression of her which I think she kind of sheds throughout the course of of the film. Well, I think she embraces, like, as a character, embraces that femininity. Like, it's not a weakness. It's it's her strength, right? Like, I, I think here's J.K. Rowling's own words on Queenie. This comes from that uh, one of the special features, actually, which was on, it was a segment on Queenie and Tina. But here's what J.K. Rowling says about Queenie. She says, Queenie is much more relaxed than Tina, but as someone that is underestimated constantly. And then she says, she's a legilimens, so the girl who's always looked at can see more deeply than anyone else. I loved that. So that, 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 yeah, it's very clear that JK Rowling has a lot of intent with this character and it's, it's intentionally um, unexpected that, that Queenie has so much more going on Mm -hmm. um, that she's underestimated constantly. Well, kind of what Micah said a few minutes ago, um, she's integral to them getting out of the jams they're in. Because mm-hmm. she knows how to play Abernathy when everyone is in the case and she's trying to get uh, get them out of, of oh, Makuza. Yeah. She knows exactly how to play Abernathy with her womanly ways by saying, oh, there's lady things in the case. Like, you do you want to see? <laughs> she knows he's not going to look. Um, yeah. And, but she knows how to, how to play him. She also saves jacob a few minutes prior from and i never remember his name but the guy who wants to obliviate him or is taking him yeah to get obliviated she plays him like a fiddle when she said by using her legilimens um by saying oh do you want me to tell your girl that you're seeing another girl no mm-hmm. okay then i'm gonna take this guy yeah she's she actually and i feel like she's got tabs on pretty much everybody at the ministry like because she just happens to be able to read their minds at any given time. I feel like she knew that that relationship was happening sooner um, than what we see. Well, and that kind of blackmail 
sort of thing could be what she uses to her advantage in later Fantastic Beast movies. We've been speaking previously about well, how can she get and how can she continue to be relevant in the series? And yeah. it's using that mind reading to her advantage. Well, and in this film, she is not put directly in front of Graves. Um, you know, Graves is not her boss. Graves is Tina's boss. And so you really wonder what would happen between Grindelwald and, and, and Queenie um, if, if they ever were in close proximity. Um, mm-hmm. Queenie does break into his office, so that's, you know, very useful with Jacob. But they're not um, – it's not tested. So Queenie's limits of, of her powers are not really – um, tested in this film, we're going to see more of that, obviously, in the future, and I, I simply can't wait. What I find interesting is the fact that the the Ministry doesn't know that she's a li- uh, a legilimens. Everyone she interacts with doesn't know that. In to my to my understanding, doesn't know that she has this power. Right, and I think that's very um, interesting. That she works at the ministry, and one, no one has picked up on it, and two, she hasn't said, or Tina hasn't said, my sister can do this, or I can do this. Because she would probably have yeah. a, a higher paying job than Tina if she did. Well, and, and here's the interesting thing, we, we, we got a couple comments about this too, about whether or not the wider Wizarding World knows about Queenie, and it very is clear that like they don't especially her coworkers, like you're just saying. But the interesting thing is that as soon as a, two complete strangers walk in to their home, she immediately reveals her gifts to Jacob and, and Newt. Like, so she's not exactly closed or close to the cuff, you know, about what she can do. It's just somehow it's still not out. Well, right. Like Newt, she starts reading Jacob's mind within seconds. Doesn't Newt call her arriving. out on it? Yeah. Um, I mean, but she, she's revealed her gift. At that point, that is true. Mm-hmm. But I, I also wonder find if that's it's just because like... she gets a mm-hmm. sense for who people are based on her ability to read their mind. She knows whether mm-hmm. or not she can trust them. And maybe because the fact that Tina is bringing her home, and Tina's so high strung that you know they're going to need her talent uh, for interaction. Yep. I also find it interesting while we're on the topic of her legilimens that um, mm-hmm. as soon as Jacob at the dinner table says, can you stop reading my mind for a second? And he says it very calmly. She immediately physically recoils. She yeah. she sits back and she's like, oh, I'm sorry, because she's obviously been told so often, don't do this. Don't show people this. Don't like you can tell she's been told to put it on the back burner. And so when she's finally able to use it and have some fun and let loose, she, she's okay with it. But as soon as, as anyone says, can you not, she's, she's so trained to, to stop and, and apologize. Yeah. Right. And I think that's due in part to the, the fact that she just seems to naturally have this ability as opposed to trying to mm-hmm. force it onto somebody else. Like I always got the sense from Snape that when he's teaching Harry um, occulmency, that he's he's intentionally trying to get into Harry's mind. That it's something that... It's that intrusive. Learned, mm-hmm. But it's been something that yeah. he has almost taught himself. 
Whereas Queenie right. seems to be more of a natural legilimen. She's, she's like born with this ability. So she yeah. has to find different ways to be able to control it. It's not something that she necessarily wants to do or is trying to do or has been taught to do at school. This is something that's inherently part of her, which is different from what we've seen in the Potter series. Mm-hmm. It's it's ultimately incredibly different. I wish J.K. Rowling had asked answered my question <laughs> uh, that we did last week. She did not yet, by the way. Update life update. No answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I know. Happy birthday, a, Eric. Thank. Yeah. Uh, response. Um, but here's a quote from J.K. Rowling anyway that was also on the Tina and Queenie special but not features in response. To and this actually. Though. Not in response to my question, but this gives a lot of insight. This is why I heard this and I was like, oh, crap, there are spoilers in these segments. Um, But this is just a clearer picture of what it is Queenie can do. Here's the quote from Joe. While Queenie could read your mind right now, she doesn't always draw the right conclusions from what she's reading. It's like she can constantly hear, hear, hear a tape of what you're thinking, but she's not that good at interpreting it. So she still makes mistakes about people. That's just fun to write. So it comes it comes to her like a, like a tape of whatever you're currently whatever happens to be the top of your mind she hears it like it were a radio. Hmm. I guess. It reminds me of that movie with with Jim Carrey. Is it which liar, liar? No, 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 no. Oh, well that too. Um but he there's also a movie where he plays God or he he you know takes on the uh, Oh, yeah, Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty, yeah, and there there are mm-hmm. moments where like he's listen, he can just hear everything that's going on around him, and I guess, oh, that's uh, right. It it just made me think of that, um, which I, I'm yeah. not sure if if that's very similar to Queenie that she hears literally everything based on she, uh, she her interactions with people. She explicitly tells mm-hmm. Newt in the case when they're talking about Lita that she can't help hear people, like she can't really turn what, it off. Oh. Yeah, you're right. So, so she, but she can also pry deeper. She can she sort could of go deeper, un- but no matter what, like she kind of just hears everything. Is what I got from that. Like she's constantly being, yeah, you know, ber- berated with these voices. I wonder what mm-hmm. the or, you know, <laughs> I wonder if she can read creatures. I'm gonna assume no, but oh, that would be cool. Oh my god, I'm assume no too. That would be cool though. Um, if she has trouble with Brits, could... I assume she'll have right. extreme difficulties with creatures. But mm-hmm. that could she could be Newt's like assistant if she were able to read the minds of creatures. Like that would be incredibly valuable. To yeah, her. she'd be like a familiar, like a, a link, a bridge yeah. between worlds. Right, an animal yeah. speaker. Well, then that and that goes to sort of one of the one of the categories here, like her role in the greater world, her role in the quartet. I wanted to talk about. It. I mean, so she's she works for Makuza, which is which is a big deal, but she's sort of a, a menial laborer. Uh, Her quote is, um, the job ain't that glamorous. I spend most days making coffee, unjinxing the John. Um, So, you know, she is doing sort of a sort of secretarial type stuff, not living up to her full grand potential. Um, And that goes back to what J.K. Rowling was saying as well, that she's constantly underestimated. Um, I think that given the the rise of the war of the uh, war, that's coming and the rise of Grindelwald and how central Newt is sure to be in those events. Queenie will also, um, you know, have a large part to play in taking him down. I definitely think she will. 
out of out of all of them. I mean, obviously Tina will because they end up together. But I think mm-hmm. Queenie will for sure have a large role due to her powers. Yeah. I think yep, mm-hmm. I agree. This ties back though to Gina's point about um Queenie and and you know in terms of her role at the ministry, it it, it seems that um because they're unaware of her abilities that she has this particular job. But if they were aware, mm-hmm. what would her potential be at, I say the ministry, but I mean, Makuza, you know, she, it, it would stand to reason that with those types of abilities that she would be far better positioned even than Tina um, within sort of the hierarchy of, of Makuza. She could have been. That's a really good. She point. could have been Graves, like yeah, yeah, and interrogating. Yeah, because I mean. mm-hmm. Graves is Serafina's right hand man, so yeah, she could have been Graves, and maybe Grindelwald could have taken her. He still can. I mean, she's a she's a very yeah. powerful weapon. If you think about it, I mean, there's there's a couple of different things because you her her ability to not necessarily read situations the right way could mean potential danger for Newt and others in the future because if she reads somebody the wrong way or somebody's pretending to be somebody that they're not that could be an absolute catastrophe but also Mm -hmm. if she's captured and she's used by Grindelwald for the purposes of his cause that could be just as bad yeah yeah, I think there's a quote is um, in the featurette that Eric put down here. Yeah, uh, J.K. Rowling said, while Queenie could read your mind right now, she doesn't always draw the right conclusions from what she's reading. It's like right. she can constantly hear hear a tape of what you're thinking, but she's not that good at interpreting it, so she still makes mistakes. I could see, I could imagine scenes in future movies where she does make a mistake and then they realize that they have to be a little more cautious with what they're learning from Queenie. Mm-hmm. Or maybe she'll warn them further. Yeah. Um, and then we can talk about Queenie's relationship with her sister, too, which is um, in that in that initial dinner scene, uh, it's explained that they are orphans. Um, you know, they're sort of all each other has um, in, 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 the, in the world. They live together. Here's the quote. We're orphans. Ma and Pa died of dragon pox while we're kids from the special features. Um, Allison actually Allison sued all the actress who plays her actually talks about how the relationship between Tina and Queenie is perhaps understated like it's not it's not pointed out as much in the film you can see mm-hmm. it absolutely within when they relate to each other but it's not like their sisters constantly declaring their love for each other right it's like they work very well together as a unit in the film and you can see that you know in every scene that they're in but the way Allison put it was, um, I really thought it was just such an indication of Joe's skill as a screenwriter to know that you don't always have to express the feeling on the line, meaning on the, the line of the script. You don't need to prove how much you love somebody if you love them enough, and that's how I feel with Tina and Queenie. So it's just clearly there was a lot of like character work and attention to character done before 
or outside of, you know, the actual dialogue of the film where these characters do relate to each other. And they're just, they're close. They have a sisterly bond. They've known each other all of each other's lives. And it doesn't need to be pointed out. You can just see it when you watch the film. Yep. Yeah. Um, all right. And then uh, just uh, wrote, wrote down here some standout scenes and standout lines, you know, that, that, that Queenie has during the film. Um, of course, she's the one who is able to probe Lita Lestrange out of out of Newt. The whole reason that we know who Lita Lestrange is, that she's this person that Newt had a relationship with of some sort. Friendship. Comes from, yeah, friendship. Comes from Queenie basically saying, who's that girl? And Newt doesn't want to talk about it, but clearly he's thinking about it. Um, here's the actual dialogue, because as I was going through, I wrote it. This is really interesting because I, rem- I you tend to forget the little subtle nuance of what these words are. Um, she says, Lita Lestrange, I've heard of that family. Aren't they kind of, you know, and Newt says, please don't read my mind. She says, oh, and then she keeps doing it. And he says, sorry, I asked you not to. She says, I know it. I'm sorry. I can't help it. People are easiest to read when they're hurting. Anyway, it was a long time ago. She says, that was a real close friendship you had at school. And Newt says, neither of us really fitted in at school. And he says, so we became quite, she said, you became good friends for years. And then she says, she was a taker. You need a giver. So Queenie knows all about whatever happened between Newt and Lita Lestrange. I don't know if she does. I don't know if she knows all of it. To make that judgment, though, she was a taker, you need a giver, means that she gleamed, she must have gleamed a, a golden egg out of Newt's mind just then. Like, could could it have been because we we from what we have heard, um Newt took the blame for a beast that Lita let out. So does that is that what she could mean by take a taker? Yeah. yeah. Like take it sort of take advantage of. I don't want to put it that way exactly, but Yeah. Um he did take the blame. It's possible. Mm-hmm. And Whereas a giver could be somebody who actually owned up to her own yeah. fault. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, in that situation, I tend to think that she's referring to her sister. Oh, being a giver. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I actually, that makes a lot of sense. But as far as Lita um, Strange, what I find to be interesting there is that you know, our real you know, um, point of comparison is is Bellatrix, but Bellatrix isn't technically a Lestrange until she marries into the family, right? So, Rodolphus and uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's the whole Black family tree that that you know ties in nicely in in in, um, Order of the Phoenix, but it's it. I want to learn more. I want to know more about the Lestrange family. That sort of these deep dark roots go all the way back. At at the very earliest to, you know, the 1900s, if not before that, and and they have a reputation even in the 20s for being maybe a little evil. And what I gleaned from this interaction, along with that, is the fact that that reputation has made its way all the way to America. Which I'm also wondering if hmm. the if these girls, uh, Tina and Queenie, are purebloods, so they know of this prominent pureblood family. That's right. So I'm um, under the assumption that they're purebloods. That's really interesting. The There are 28, FYI, I was reading this for some reason the other day, there are 28 pureblood families 
that are like the sacred 28, I think it's called. There's something, it's, it's a bit weird. I, I'm, I'm not sure where this comes from, but I was looking up the minister for magic, uh, at the time, um, is referenced in the newspapers at the beginning of the movie. And he, his family is one of the pure blood families, but there's based on previous, you know, famous witches and wizards cards and all this other stuff. We know that there will be a minister for magic who is sort of like a fudge type character who stays more or less the entire time of the film. So I imagine we'll meet the, the president at some, it's Hector uh, is his name. Um, Hector something. I'm, I'm missing it. But anyway, the whole point of this is that there, he's one of the 28 pure blood families and, it I, it makes sense that if there are only twenty eight, that some of them would know each other. Twenty eight in America, or, that. or London. I, I don't know. I got more research. You know, pens more research. I guess. Um, the other thing about Queenie, though, and we we do we do have to talk about this. She's not uh, she's not prejudiced against no matches, despite her government's uh, strict you know controls. She treats people like people, and she's very quick to treat Jacob like a person. And in fact, you know, the two of them hit it off quite spectacularly. I mean, watching their relationship develop throughout the film is is sweet. I mean, that's we mentioned before Jacob is the emotional, you know, weight of this film, how, you know, we're seeing the world sort of through his eyes even, and he all of the heart belongs to him. Queenie watching their relationship grow, and there's a particular scene where Newt and Tina have taken off and Queenie's left with the the suitcase and she hands it to Jacob and he says, you said I was one of yous. And, and she says, no, it's too dangerous. And, you know, puts her hand on his, on his cheek. It's a tender goodbye. It's basically like we need to go and fight, but you know, you can't come. And it's, it's this sad sort of heartbreaking, all of this film, really their relationship is one of the reasons to watch mm-hmm. because I think there's something so pure yeah. there. There's something so kind and gentle and believable. Isn't that also where we got the mention of Jacob's brother, or am I making that up? Mm. Having died in the war, Jacobs. Oh, it was it one of the deleted scenes yeah. there. Well, and, and I think yeah. that was a deleted scene, and then also there's there's well, it's deleted, but it's kind of more of an extended scene where they're inside Macy's, and yes, th- there's yeah. an interaction um, that kind of furthers the development of the relationship between Queenie and Jacob, and it's just before they go mm. upstairs to deal with the um, the Akami and Akami. Uh, so I just uh I'm interested as to why a lot of those scenes get removed. I mean, I know it's pacing and I know <laughs> I, yeah, sorry. I, that has it. that has to go in every time, right? Because that's that's their favorite word to use, but uh yeah, yeah I mean it it definitely further's um the storyline between the two of them. It gives a little bit more context, it gives a little bit more background. It brings them closer together on certain um subjects. So uh the fact that you you leave that bit out, uh, Eric. You were talking about the the interaction on the rooftop, and then and then mm. also in Macy's. It seems like they were omitted for whatever reason, but it, it would have helped uh, in terms of you know maybe giving a, a little bit of a glimpse into what is to come in the future. Yeah, I mean the the other thing that Queenie and Jacob have in common, which is hilarious, it's actually in the movie, is that unspoken rule of etiquette that if you make someone cocoa, they can't like leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you remember because Newt uh, or Jacob's like, oh, they made us cocoa, we can't, 
we can't ditch out of them. That that wouldn't be proper. And then when Queenie and Tina discover that they've left, Queenie says, "But we made them cocoa." Just, Which I think it's really funny. I think that was uh, Queenie's idea was to send Tina mm. in with the cocoa because Tina was the one who was like, "You're staying, and you're staying in this room. So get you like get comfortable." And you could, mm. I feel like Queenie probably saw the uh, the not abruptness or roughness, but the somewhat aggressive kind of yeah yeah the aggressive way that she kind of bullied them into staying so she, i bet queenie in headcanon queenie was like let's make them coco when you walk in with it so that you know yeah. they feel yeah they feel okay they'll, they'll think you're more friendly yeah than you, you you're know, acting the other th- the other thing is though that she she prevents newt from leaving at first cuz I, I forgot that this was a part of the movie but Newt's like one big jerk move is he he like is going to just leave and reach for the door like pretty much right when they arrive uh, at Tina and Queenie's. Um, he goes to reach for the door and Queenie, who can read his mind, is like, do you prefer strudel, you know, or whatever the other option is. Pie uh, or pie strudel. Or something. Pie or strudel. She engages him in conversation and therefore makes it impossible for him to, in good company or in, in politeness, you know, excuse himself. And she keeps him there, but she's really smart. She's sharp as a tack. She's, you know, like a whip. And she makes sure that because it would be inappropriate for Newt to just leave. It's like a real jerk move for him to do that. But she kind of is the she she draws him into this, uh, you know, contact with other humans, which I think is really important for Newt because he's this guy who, you know, would ordinarily prefer not to interact with humans. Yeah. So she kind of sees what he needs and and fills it. So the the only thing we didn't talk about though is the actress who plays Queenie, who I know Gina is a huge fan of. So Gina, you really like and have known about Alison Sudol for a while. Can you tell that story? Um, I realized the other day that I have been a fan of her for a decade because I worked at Barnes and Noble around this time in two thousand seven. Um. I was, I was working because I wanted to, oh, it was right after, anyway, I was working towards the, uh, Barnes and Noble release of Harry Potter 7, which came out in 07, correct? Yeah, 2007, Yes. So I was working at Barnes and Noble before, a little prior to that, and her first CD, one, it was called One Cell in the Sea, was part of the allotted music that we were allowed to play over the speakers because she was a Barnes and Noble up and coming artist or some such. And now was that as Alison Sudol or was that, that as was as a fine, a fine frenzy. frenzy. As um, Queenie. Okay. Yeah. As Queenie. As Queenie. So, so that's her band then of fine frenzy. Yeah. A fine frenzy was her band. Okay. Um, she's basically the, like it's her band, but like the musicians aren't, talked about like they don't really do interviews so it was basically just her but that was kind of the stage name was a fine frenzy um Uh and her music and shockingly sarah borellis's were the only tolerable music that we could play so we put her music on a lot (laughs) whenever we got into her yes um yeah because i remember you were really excited when she was cast in this Mm -hmm. film because you knew who she was Mm -hmm. and not a lot of people did. Mm-hmm. Yes, she. Yeah. Yes, I was very excited. 
but her musical talent, which we'll actually be experiencing soon, um, is you know something that it makes sense that there's now an Ilvermorny school song deleted scene, mm-hmm. right? Because she could, because she can show off her chops and actually sing it. Yes, and I so that's to, to go along mm-hmm. with that. I do think it's interesting that she does have this such this large intricate role, and she was probably the most unknown out of the quartet. Actor-wise. Yeah. Hmm. So in Make the Music Connection today, we are going to play some of her songs. So, Gina, you're going to have a little throwback. You're going to feel like you're working at Borders again (laughs) as we connect her music to the Fantastic Beast series. Oh, Barnes & Noble, sorry. (laughs) Um, One other thing I wanted to point out was, again, I was rewatching it last night, and uh, Tina's very first interaction with jacob or her first her first time being in jacob's presence uh she says something really rude about him she says who would marry that guy to newt after he had been bitten by the the murlap mm-hmm. oh tina says this yeah yeah tina says it and i feel like this might be a little bit of foreshadowing regarding queenie and jacob yes oh I yeah it, assuming that those two do continue to fall for each other. Um, her sister's first impression of this guy is, who would marry that guy? Well, it's probably going to be your sister in a future Fantastic Beasts yeah. movie. Yeah, she hasn't given him the time of day yet, though. I think as the time goes on, there are like yeah. the goodbye scene in the rain, they're all pretty much feeling for the two of them. Yeah, um, it's just some of that J.K. Rowling foreshadowing that yeah, we'll come yeah. back to. We'll, we'll, we'll watch this movie 10 years from now. When the final movie's out, and we'll be like, oh, look at that. Yep. Look at that. I agree. All right. Is that all then? Uh, I mean, yeah, unless we'll... we want to read some tweets. Yeah. 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 No. <laughs> this is from April. I hope the new movies go into her past, and we learn more about when she found out about her talent slash gift to reading minds. That'd be Ooh. cool to see the little queenie being like, I could read minds. <laughs> Yes, I'm pretty sure that'll be the exact scene right there. <laughs> yeah. Jake, you're only hire me to write it. I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Amy says, I really want to know if she can turn her powers off. Is she just doomed to always listen to others' thoughts? What an awful way to live. I think she is yeah. doomed. It's a I blessing agree. and a curse. Would, would, would you three enjoy being in the presence of her, or would it drive you crazy? Uh, I'm inclined to say I would enjoy her presence. <laughs> <laughs> For reasons other than she's attractive. Yeah. I mean, I think she's like a really cool character. Yeah. I don't know. I just like to talk to her about her, like her day and all that stuff. Yeah. But it would drive me crazy. I I think that she can ignore, like, I think she can like try and actively have a conversation without constantly reading your mind. It would be really boring if you could have a conversation with somebody and then know because they're thinking of what they're going to say right before they say it to actually just have their responses first mm-hmm. before it comes out of their mouth. That would be really dreadful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd want to be friends for, with her because I'd want to know what other people were thinking. I'd be like, tell me what they're thinking. Are they into me? It brings people, it brings people watching to the new extreme. Yeah. Right? Or uh, being a wingman. Like, will you ever do that thing where you're on a train in a public place and you're looking at these other people and you're like, what is their life like? What are they thinking? Right. Or what are they Constantly. saying to each other right now? And then you do that. Yeah, exactly. Queenie, Queenie would be able to like be that wingman who like tells you all about it. Yeah. Um, or wing wing woman. But yeah. This is from Ashish. 
Is Queenie the Luna of Fantastic Beasts? There are some parallels. The way she comes across on screen. Mysterious, even a bit aloof. No. Yeah, I got that. Im- no? I, think, I got that impression, too. I think Newt is the Luna of... Mm-hmm. I was going <laughs> to say the same thing, yeah. I, I think yeah, Newt's more the Luna. I agree with that. Yeah, um, but as far as fair. who she's comparable to in, in Potter, I'm not sure. Yeah. I like the idea Snape. that she's not a hundred. No, I like the idea that there's no direct comparison because yeah. mm-hmm. ultimately we don't want to see recycled types of characters, you know, in new stories. We want all new stuff. Like I think J.K. Rowling's managed to create a very unique character in Queenie, yeah, mm-hmm. and in all of the four of this film. Like they're not like we haven't really had a good experience with a nomad slash muggle before, so. Jacob's that, you know, and we don't know anybody who prefers the company of animals over humans. Maybe Luna, but that's new. Actually, um, at C2E2, I was at the Ivana Lynch panel and Ivana basically said, like, yeah, she she prefers the interaction of animals to Luna uh, uh, would rather in the beginning be with animals than people because people are just kind of rude to her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hagrid also has that affinity for. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Or beasts, but uh, yeah, it, it's. I agree with you as far as it's. It's good not to have necessarily a, a direct one-to-one comparison for some of these characters because we are going to meet younger versions of other characters that we already know. So to have new, fresh yeah. characters mm-hmm. is a good thing. Let's read one more here. This is from Lauren. She says, I want to know why she chose to be an assistant, as she is clearly talented. Why sh- is she not an Auror like Tina? Maybe bad grades in school? Hmm. Yeah, there's an opportunity of, like, <clears throat> here to talk about the really brilliant people. Like, even Einstein got bad grades in math, which is like they were seeing so far outside the box. There's also, now I wonder, though, really a clear question of, was Teeny taught either by her parents, like Katie suggested in a tweet, you know, taught by her parents to keep her ability Did to you herself? Call her um, no, I didn't. I didn't mean to. <laughs> that was um, just Queenie calls her. Teeny Queen. Oh yeah, you know what? Queenie does call Tina Teeny. It's it's in the film. Yeah, it's, it's in the film. Somebody suggests that. Uh, somebody suggested that Queenie might might have been a bully. Uh, Andy Iskander said, I would love to see how she grew up with her power. Was it difficult as a child? Did that lead to bullying? Or maybe she was the bully knowing everyone's secrets. Did that ever cause a rift between her and Tina growing up? Would love to hear just some insights into this from Joe. Like, I think it's clear that Queenie's abilities are hidden from the public at large. She's, as I said before, she's not shy at all about introducing her powers to strangers, but there might be more to that than we knew. But at the same time, did she grow up kind of repressing her skills? I think not. Yeah, I think for the most part, she does repress her skills for most of her life. And I think it depends on the stranger. She felt warmthness, especially from Jacob and kind of from Newt, I bet, that this was a safe place. So she could be free with her with her powers. But Mm -hmm. um, I I have a feeling she grew up and was told, don't do this. Don't let people know about this. Well, it may also depend how early on the parents passed away from dragon pox and what their situation was like following that, right? 
mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of the environment that they were brought up in. Remember, the world in which they're living now is is not the equivalent of what we know when we go into the Potter series. There, there's a lot of right. um, turmoil uh, happening in America as it relates to the wizarding world, and so. You know, I, I wonder, since it is a it's a common theme in this particular film to sort of repress that magical ability, perhaps yeah. she grew up under some similar circumstances and, and is still living with a bit of that, right? And I think probably just as much as anything else, she chooses not to show this ability to advance herself at the ministry or, or Makusa because she's afraid of what that might mean. And how she might be used and, and how she might be perceived and, you know, what happens if somebody else um, you know, comes into control. We don't know, you know, sort of what the feeling is on people's ability to, to read other people's minds. Like it could be seen as a very much a stigma. Um, I just think that it, it ties into one of the major themes of this film, which is, and you see the result of what happens when people choose to repress their their magical ability right it manifests itself in a way that you know people like grindelwald are are trying to take advantage of yeah no well said all right should we wrap it there then on i think that yeah yeah, i think that concludes except for make the music connection that we're about to play hey yo I can't wait for this. So, Gina, you picked all of these songs for us to make the connection. And I can't even remember what I picked at this at this point. <laughs> oh, well, okay. then let's well, have well, you go first. We're not going to know the song. I'm just going to put that out there. Well, she will. This is called Electric Twist. Uh, let's have Gina go first. And this <laughs> is, this is off the album Bomb in a Birdcage, ah, which is her second album. Okay, I'm obs- I'm I'm obsessed with this band already. Bomb in a Birdcage, really. Okay, here it is. Sounds great, actually. She's a great singer. She is a really good singer. Um, I was going to say our caveat this time is that we have to relate it back to Fantastic Beasts. Oh, that's yeah. easy. I mean, I those mean, first lyrics right there, I laughed out loud because it reminded me of... Two. I know. You should be wilder. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you're no fun at all. You're no fun um, at all. <laughs> can I relate it to besides Tina? Because I, I feel that is too obvious. Um... Newt. Hmm. Newt. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be Queenie to, to Newt saying, hey, let's have a little fun. Let's let's sit down to dinner and, and let and have a little wine with our pie and strudel. <laughs> yeah. The okay, I buy that. All right, here, Eric, why don't you go next? This is a song called Borrowed Time. Oh, yeah. 
That's going to be a harder one. Hmm. Uh, well, Grindelwald wants to divide the 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 world into supporters and no supporters, and I think that this winter imagery that's in this song of borrowed time is relating to the upcoming Wizarding War in Fantastic Beasts. Um, I wish that all pre-war periods could be uh, sung to with a voice as beautiful as Allison's. But uh, yeah, I, I think that um, <coughs> I think that they're talking about sort of the days leading up to war. Uh, that's the connection I make. Okay. Um, all of the characters will have a choice to make very shortly. Okay. Micah, let's work on this next one. You and I together. All right. It's called Life Size. Sun is shining. It's a new day. Goodbye, SoCal. <laughs> yeah, bye, California. <laughs> we stood so tall, we caught a plane by the wing and held it safe until we found it a place to land. We laid across the ocean. Oh, you ended it before the chorus finished. How dare you? Sorry, I was trying to limit the clips to under a minute okay. and ten seconds. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, well, this is definitely a love song. It lacks much detail. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's just like, yeah. As uh-huh. as bright and cheery as it is. Um, I was I was thinking of the, uh, the scene when the, the Thunderbird is kind of you know, erasing everybody's memory, and then he flies off. Yeah. I don't know if that really ties into the uh, the <laughs> lyrics themselves, but uh, uh-huh. maybe when well, Frank is, lyric- is flying off into the distance and he gets back to Phoenix, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Larger than life, by the wing. Yeah, that's what made me think of flying uh, lyrics. The Thunderbird. All right, and one more Rangers. I'll try to do this one.
okay, so this is kind of a song about like hiding. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was immediately thinking of uh, of Credence trying to oh. avoid being captured, sort of. I mean, he yeah. he doesn't want to. He doesn't. I don't. I don't know if he doesn't want to be found exactly, but he is definitely in hiding at the moment, and he's unsure if he wants to come out, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Tell me if that was crap. It's okay. I can deal. No, I like. No, that. I think it was good. I like oh, okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. Mine. Mine was complete crap. Yours was okay. No, yours was good, Micah. We all did good. Let's just all pat ourselves on the back. <laughs> okay, sure. Right now. <laughs> Support each other to get through it. <laughs> yeah, but she's got a great voice. And yeah. you know what? That instrumentation, those yeah. song, I'm definitely going to check out A Fine Frenzy. Her songs are actually quite lyrical. They're very descriptive. I, in the album art, she's a redhead, too. Yes, that's why. Ooh. I think on the TV show Dig with Jason Isaacs, she was a huh. brunette or maybe it was black hair. It was very dark. And I thought it was very interesting that in this movie she's blondie. Yeah. I like I like her being blondie. Um, to wrap up the show today, we have one listener rebuttal. This is from Sage. They write, you got a question about Cursed Child slash Fantastic Beast Wizard Rock on episode 315, and I have an answer. <clears throat> The Mudbloods released an amazing EP at LeakyCon of Cursed Child songs called the Time Turner EP, and it's available on their SoundCloud. I also know several other people who are currently writing Fantastic Beasts jams that should be out in the next year, probably this summer, so keep an ear out. Love your show, and hope you're well. I just found this EP in my suitcase, actually. I was cleaning it out. Oh, you bought it? I did, yeah. I forgot I bought it, obviously. (laughs) If, Um, if, If there are... If there's one wizard rock band that I would want to live forever and continue doing music, it is the Mudbloods. So they are really good. So uh, I, I'm looking at this EP. The the first song is called Unconditional. It appears to be a song from Harry to his son. Let me play mm-hmm. a preview. Ooh, yeah. Coffee shop music. This is the whole song, so buckle in. (laughs) Every time I try to talk to you, every word comes out wrong. Every time I reach out, you've moved further along. A path I don't understand, though I've been down many roads. No, I try to hold on. You'd rather struggle alone. It doesn't hurt me that I don't know what you want. But it kills me that I don't know what you need. You're like a book written in a language that. I recognize, but I don't know how to read. Doing my best to be the best father I can. But when I try my best intentions, they turn out bad. The only father figures that I have. 
Reminds me of the Springsteen Harry Potter song, actually. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, yeah. There's a song here called Oh Rose. <laughs> oh, Rose. Oh, Rose. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what? Everybody, go check this out on yeah. right. the Mudbloods <laughs> SoundCloud. Eric, you don't want to sit Adam here and just listen man. to the whole EP? That singer, well, yeah, on our I'm own kidding. time. <laughs> um, I'm not going to take everybody else up, but, um, man, his vocals have only gotten stronger throughout the years. Yeah, it was good. Definitely check it out. Pick it up. That does Thank it you, Sage. For today's episode of MuggleCast, don't forget we have that new voicemail number, 19203Muggle is the number. Call in, leave a voicemail. We also have our email, MuggleCast at gmail.com. We would love your support on Patreon, patreon.com slash MuggleCast. It keeps the show going. Uh, you'll get a host of benefits, including a bonus muggle cast we're about to talk about right now. J.K. Rowling has kind of been quiet about Harry Potter recently, and she did go on a little bit of a tweet, tweet, tw- Twitter binge, I guess you would call it, tweet binge, tweet rant, the other day after working on Fantastic Beasts 2. And she had something interesting to say about Newt's Patronus, so we're going to talk about that in the first Bonus Muggle cast of May. Again, it's patreon.com slash mugglecast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Gina. And now you can say it. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Now it works. Thanks for joining us, Gina. We'll see everybody next time for episode 319. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.